ears. Okay. I got it. Good. Fantastic. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is a very special show because it's the birthday of my guest, Dr. Bill Dysinger, who's going to be joined by his son, Dr. Wayne Dysinger. Dr. Wayne Dysinger has been on the show many times before. He's an amazing plant-based physician, lifestyle medicine doctor, who was my personal physician when I lived in the desert, but then I moved up north and I got a different one, Dr. Neil Nedley. So I'm keeping it all in the family. Thank goodness. Well, if you watch my show regularly, you remember that I had on a physician last year named Dr. John Scharfenberg after his 99th birthday. And somehow we started talking about the Dysingers. And I heard about a gentleman named Dr. Bill Dysinger, the father of Dr. Wayne Dysinger, who was going to turn 96. And I figured if I can get the most views on a show for a guy that's 99, let's have another physician that's 96. Because, you know, people really want to know not just how to age, but how to age well. And I think we can learn a lot from our examples like Dr. Bill Dysinger, but to introduce him, let's first welcome his son, Dr. Wayne Dysinger. Nice to see you. Is this why you're a doctor? Because your dad's a doctor? I'm sure I'm heavily influenced by my dad in a lot of different ways. So yes. Um, That's a, well, you guys are in two different cities, so you're not celebrating together. That's correct. Um, I'm in California and my dad's in Tennessee, um, but I do get a chance to go out there in about 10 days and we're going to celebrate not only his 96th birthday, but his 70, his 65th um, wedding anniversary. Wow. So he and my mom have been married for 65 years now. That is pretty incredible. Well, I can't wait till you introduce him and we learn the secrets because, you know, it's not just about living long. It's about aging well and living well. And that's, you know, because, you know, we have medicines and procedures now that can prolong long life, but not necessarily quality of life. Yeah, I mean... And, and I tell you, I'm 62 now. The older you get, the more you realize how it's, it's not easy. Aging is not an easy journey. Um, yeah. And so then to, to see someone like my dad, who's, who's 96, end with a, with a very good quality of life, or Dr. Scharfenberg, or you know, any number of other people who, who have been blessed, but also it's, it's not just a, a blessing, it's also a set of personal choices. That, right, Yeah, because uh, I mean, genetics, of course, plays that. a role, but I think there's a lot more to it than people realize. And my mom used to say, getting old is not for sissies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your dad looks adorable. Well, so go ahead, uh, introduce him or however you want to do this. This is your show. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to just uh, share a few slides. Um, and uh, full screen here. Um, so, you know, I, I just, for me, it's super fun to be uh, on your show, uh, AJ. Thank you so much for, for bringing my dad on and for allowing me to join him um, on his birthday. So literally today is the day he's turning 96. And, you know, interestingly, um, he was born in, in, a rural, in rural Tennessee. In fact, we joke that the the place that he the the actual structure that he was born in um, became a, a pigsty. Uh, so um, I was born shoot. in a pigsty. Yeah. yeah um, so, but but and now he's he's retired in a in a farm not too far from there. Um, but I, I just wanted to share a little bit um, about his his life story. Um, so, you know, he was born there in Tennessee, um, ended up going to medical school um, out here in California at Loma Linda University, um, uh, and went from there to uh, getting a master's in public health at Harvard School of Public Health. Um, he was one of the founding academic deans for the, he was the founding academic dean for the Loma Linda University School of Public Health. So he taught at Loma Linda University through, through the larger portion of his career, both in the medical school and the School of Public Health. Uh, and his, his position there was professor of international health. Um, uh, and he, he was, he's still connected to Loma Linda, but um, actually, what, what time did you leave Loma Linda, Dad? I guess it was in the 1980s. Um, you primarily left Loma Linda. Um, and then you can see his, his 
international health work literally took him around the world. Um, he's literally done health projects in 55 countries or in 60 countries around the world and lived in five different countries in um, multiple different continents. Um, uh, uh, you know, in throughout his career. Um, he's been married to, to my mom for 65 years, uh, four children, 17 grandchildren, um, uh, 13 great-grandchildren, uh, and uh, more on the way, more uh, more popping out every few months, it seems like these days. Um, we already talked about uh, being raised in rural Tennessee. Um, my dad continues to walk regularly. Uh, he told me uh, earlier this week he was out and did two miles and what was it 56 minutes 54 minutes 54 minutes dad um he's still he's a member of planet fitness and goes to the gym regularly and, and does strength training there uh he still works around the farm gets on his tractor goes out and does bush hogging um he skydives regularly he celebrated his 95th say regularly he's done it a few times i celebrated his 95th birthday by jumping out of an airplane um, and he and he still stays involved um, in community events um, uh, around the rural Tennessee uh, neighborhoods that he lives in. Um, he's been whole food plant based his whole life, um, uh, vegetarian and um, and primarily vegan, not a hundred percent vegan. Um, so that's the quick. Not uh, too late. Not too late. <laughs> quick introduction that I that I am so thrilled to give for my dad. So, Dad, welcome, and uh, well, thank you, thank you. I, uh, Did you want to take the slides down? I can, I can take the slides down. Um, I, I have some pictures that my dad took uh, on some of his trips. So, my dad was, to a large extent, um, a professor of international health, and much of what he did was was nutrition based. Um, so, so he can tell stories and and all kinds of um, interactions around nutrition from an international perspective and from a community-based perspective. Now, I, 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 did I hear you right? Skydiving? When was the last time you skydove? Last year for my birthday. Oh my gosh. And so if that's the secret to longevity, I, you may as well kill me now. I am, how do you, that sounds so terribly scary and dangerous. Well, I'm a private pilot. Uh, I used to be active. Um, but I've been many times uh, in the air uh, and wondering what it would be to, to jump out of the airplane. Um, but I married and my, my, my wife nixed the idea until uh, 19, well, my 85th birthday, I finally did my skydive. And you weren't terrified? Well, yes, you, you, it's a thrill. I, I, I can't believe it. I mean, that, that is incredible to me that you actually did it and then did it again. <laughs> well, I've thought I might do it again on my hundredth birthday. Well, yeah, you can do it on your hundredth birthday. You come back here also on your hundredth birthday to tell us what that's like. So I guess there's no age limit for skydiving. No, there isn't. Uh, I, as far as I know, the oldest skydiver was a lady in Australia that jumped uh, at 102 years of age. That is something. That hey, so did you live in the blue zones most of your life? Mm, yes, to the yes, I lived in the Loma Linda area for 28 years at least. So were you in the blue zones before it was even acknowledged to be a blue zone? Oh, yes, yes, long before. And did, did you play any part in that? Well, I was in on, there have been many studies done of Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, and I was involved in the first study as a researcher studying um, uh, <laughs> lung function. Uh, of uh, of Adventists compared to the general population. Wow. So, so when you say you were involved with the study, what was the study? How did they find the people and who did the study? 
Well, it was, uh, I can't remember names as well as I used to, but um, it was brought about by somebody who began to recognize that Adventists uh, did not smoke and drink and seemed to live longer life. And so he initiated uh, or encouraged at least the first study that was sponsored by the American Cancer Society, uh, comparing Adventists with non-Adventists. And of course, quickly uh, non-smoking showed up as a, as a major difference. Yeah. Did, do you think that if the research was started today that any of the blue zones, including Loma Linda, would be a blue zone? Well, the definition I have of a blue zone is one where the population lives longer than average. Uh, and uh, I think there's five or six blue zones recognized in the world, uh, of which uh, Loma Linda and Adventist. Loma Linda is at least half Adventist. Um, that is one of the blue zones and the only one in North America. Yeah. And you know, it's what I love about it. It's the only one that doesn't tout drinking wine is one of the reasons. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Well, you know, because the other blue zones, they do drink alcohol and they say, oh yeah, you know, they drink, because isn't my understanding that in, at most Adventists don't drink alcohol? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So do you think it's the exclusion of all the toxic things that Adventists don't do, which is generally alcohol, tobacco, meat, um, even caffeine for many of them and chocolate, or the inclusion of all the good stuff, or maybe a combination? Well, it's probably a combination, but uh, there's no question that uh, the things we don't do help improve our life. Well, I agree with that because Dr. Scharfenberg says there's no safe amount of alcohol, but yet we have all these plant-based physicians that, you know, tout the benefits of caffeine and alcohol and olive oil and all this stuff. And it's like, really? See, you're living proof that abstinence works. <laughs> well, I don't feel that I've suffered from, from my abstinence. Yeah. You seem like you have a great life. When did you realize that nutrition was going to be a big part of your career? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't start school till I was eight years old. And I started with a homeschool where I took three grades in my first year. And my first, uh, my first uh, serious book that my parents gave me was uh, this book. Uh, I don't know. I guess I but it's called uh, Ministry of Healing. And I wrote my childish book. The book, by, the book by Ellen White? Yes. Uh, I, I was just told by my Adventist doctor to read that book, particularly it was either chapter 15 or 16. Well, I would highly recommend it. But at any rate, uh, I, that's my first serious book. And it's been a, uh, it's been a must book for me to keep up with uh, ever since. This was, as I say, when I was eight years old. That's incredible. I wonder if it comes on Audible now, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lazy. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. There's uh, right. audioverse.com, I guess it is. Nice. Has, I think, all the Ellen G. White books. That is great. Did, did you always want to be a doctor? Um, I consider that it was probably 12 years of age when I decided that's what I wanted to be. And what kind of doctor were you? Which type of family practice, internal medicine? I certainly started in family practice, but uh, my overseas experience uh, led me into public health and preventive medicine. Preventative. It doesn't seem like we're doing very good in preventative medicine anymore, are we? We're mostly fixing things after they happen. Yeah, well, I'm uh, happily surprised how much diet and exercise has changed in my recent years. 
tell us about it. Like, tell us what you grew up eating and what you're eating now. Because one of the first questions that came in was, what does he eat? What does he eat? Everybody wants to know what you eat all day, what you do for exercise, so people can look and feel as good as you and age as well as you. Well, I would point out that now uh, my wife and I do uh, eat two meals a day. Are they breakfast and lunch? They're breakfast and lunch. Oh my God, you guys are killing me with this. You know, I go to an Adventist doctor and she's like, you know, I do two meals too, but I do lunch and dinner. She goes, no, no, you you know, it's like, tell me, is that really the secret? Because that Dr. Sharperberg said the same thing. I have no trouble doing two meals a day, but dinner's like the second most fun meal after lunch. It's when everybody's together. Like if you're not eating at night, what the heck do you do? <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> well, we... Uh, we don't eat at the usual times. We eat breakfast usually about 8.30 or 9. And then we eat eat lunch about 2 or 2.30. That's not as bad then. Because, yeah, that's not like eating lunch at 12. And then, yeah. Okay. Um, so, tell, so does your wife do all the cooking? <laughs> I do all the cooking now, practically. Really? So tell me what, tell me what you think. I wasn't trained as a cook and I don't claim to be a chef but uh well for breakfast this morning uh we had seven grain cereal and i used soy milk on my cereal and i i like to put grape nuts uh on my cereal to uh, i eat six mornings a week we have hot cereal uh on on sabbath or saturday morning uh, we have cold cereal, and I have grape nuts and wheat checks and Cheerios and this type of thing. So that's the only day I don't cook. And Sunday, we usually have waffles with fruit on them. But we have lots of fruit. Uh, we, I eat a lot of pineapple on uh, whole wheat bread uh, with peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter. Wow. You leave living dangerously there, huh? <laughs> but, uh, we commonly have three or four fruits uh, every morning for breakfast. Yeah, and so many people, there's such misinformation out there. I'm sure you know about fruit and diabetes and fruit is maligned. I mean, there's even a couple of plant-based doctors that say it caused cancer. So it's nice to know that, that, you know, fruit is healthy and that you're eating it and enjoying it. It sounds like you eat a lot like Dr. Scharfenberg. He too, he loves his waffles. It's, uh, but he, he, see, he doesn't have a wife anymore to make them. So we, we try to have him over here and make him waffles because he loves them. And then, you know, we make them for him and then he can freeze them and pull them out. So that's your breakfast around eight or nine. And uh, I'm guessing no coffee, maybe water, tea. No, uh... My wife drinks some tea, but I, uh, I don't drink with my meals. Yeah, I don't either. That's interesting. I just never did that. So you're, you're married 65 years this year. That's amazing. May 11 was our anniversary. That is, it's so great. My grandparents were married 63 years. And my grandfather used to say, um, I've been in love with the same woman every year. He would say, I've been in love with the same woman for 60 odd years. And if my wife ever found out, she'd kill me. That was a joke, by the way. But that that's very cool. Are you going to have a big party for your 65th wedding anniversary? We've already, yes. Uh, our son's coming back in first week of June. We're going to celebrate our wedding anniversary as well as my birthday. Over your right shoulder, there's somebody that looks like they're gardening. Is that your wife? Uh, no, I think it's one of my grandchildren. That's something I was going to say, because that's why you guys uh, are, are looking oh, no. so good. No, we're getting a high speed internet upstairs. They're just installing it. That's no, great. That's not regular work on the farm. What do you think of all the changes in the world, especially when it comes to things like technology? Are you a fan of them or you wish things would slow down and get back to the pace it was before? I used to somewhat keep up with the technology, but it's gone beyond me now. Did I, you go to medical school at Loma Linda? I did. Nice. Graduated in 1955. Wow. And did you, what kind of practice did you have? Well, I began with, uh, with general practice 
Actually, I began in government service. I had been deferred for my education uh, during the draft, early draft years. So when I finished uh, medicine, I was very draft eligible. And I chose to go into US public health service working with the Native Americans. I spent one year with the Blackfeet Indians in Montana and one year with the Navajos in Arizona. Um, I, it was a general practice. I'm sorry. I guess somebody's banging. Do they know? <laughs> Who's doing that? I, uh, That's okay. they're, they're putting the oh, oh they're putting your internet in that's what they're doing okay that all right putting well, in underground the wires so you work with um with these american indians yes i spent two years with the native americans uh which was excellent general practice although my second year i was officially the public health officer for the uh, my first year, I was officially the uh, public health officer for the Blackfeet Indians. They are up on the northern boundary of the U.S., boundary between Canada. Well, the Blackfeet are on both sides, but... Um, what, the, was their, what was their diet like? Do you, know, do you remember? Well, what I remember is their alcohol use. <laughs> Uh, they ate a, a sad American diet, but um, they voted the year before I came in. Uh, the Native Americans became more independent uh, within the U.S., and they made the decision whether their reservation would be wet or dry. And the Blackfeet chose theirs to be wet and they had a, a state-owned liquor shop that was sold more liquor than any other liquor store in Montana. Uh, and uh, the weekends when they got their monthly allotment, uh, it was terrible. Uh, wow. Uh, I had to sign the death certificate for too many people who died of alcohol. Well, people just, they think it's benign. It's not, they, you know, I, I have not seen lives really improved by the use of alcohol. Have either of you? No, and the worst I ever saw was there where a couple, a young couple um, came into money they sold some land or something. And they actually bought a truck filled with wine and parked it at their house and drank themselves to death within one year. Um, that was the worst case. I had to sign the death certificate for both of them. But that was within one year. They never drove the truck. They just parked it beside the house and. I'm told uh, that you couldn't walk uh, without stepping on on uh, wine bottles. Wow. wow. What year were you born? 1927. Seven. Seven. Wow. That's amazing. You did something with the State Department in Cambodia. Can you tell us about it? Yes. Uh, I, I tried to um, get an overseas assignment. Uh, when I, before I went in with the Native Americans, uh, but there were no openings at that time. And uh, the lady that was the recruiter for the State Department became a friend of mine. And as I was finishing, or as I was entering at least the second year of a two-year contract, with public health service, uh, she called me and uh, I had shown a special interest in Nepal and uh, there were no openings at the time, at that time. 
So she called me and said, uh, there is the opening coming up in Nepal. And if you are still interested, uh, that can be your position. And I said, fine, that's what I would really like. Uh, that came up, oh, I suppose, in December. Uh, and uh, I married, um, well, I, I, I became engaged <laughs> in that December. But at any rate, she called me and said, uh, we'll send you a ticket uh, if you can come and we'll, we'll finalize the plans. Just before she came, I was, my wife was living in the DC area. So I had more than one reason my wife to be was there and I had more reasons than one to go back. But at any rate, the day before I was to fly back, the lady recruiter called and said, that position is not gonna be continued. But if you will consider any other position, uh, come on back. So I did go back and uh, I heard of Cambodia because uh, a, a short-tailed relative had just gone out to Cambodia as a, a missionary. And we spent that weekend reading letters from them. They'd been there for a year and they had a big stack of letters. And then I went down on Monday to talk to them. And they said, well, there's a position open in Afghanistan. And she said, it looks like there's a position opening in Cambodia. And I about fell through the floor. But to shorten the story, um, I did uh, get signed up with the State Department uh, that weekend um, to go to Cambodia. Nice. How many times have you been around the world and how many countries have you been in? Well, at least a dozen times I've been around the world. I've been in more than 120 countries, but I've actually worked in more than 60. What, what did you do in all those different countries? Um, it was a great deal of mother and child health work, uh, uh, making certain immunization. For instance, when we first lived in, in uh, Tanzania, uh, when Wayne was turned three, I guess, uh, measles was the commonest cause of death in Tanzania. And uh, we were involved in immunization programs that turned it around so deaths just plummeted from, from measles. But uh, malnutrition was common and uh, infectious diseases. I got to see um, smallpox in those early days. But it was mostly mother and child health, weighing babies, checking their arm circumference, making sure they were immunized, uh, seeking to improve their sanitation and nutrition. What was your favorite country that you visited? <laughs> My commas uh, rejoinder to that is uh, I, I can tell you the one I least wanted to go to, I enjoyed all of them, but the one I least wanted to go to was Pakistan because I was acquainted there and I knew many of the problems and I didn't want to go. But I finally felt the Lord was leading me there. And, uh, and so we went and uh, I've never enjoyed any place more than Pakistan. That's interesting. Was it easy for you to get the kind of food you were used to eating, like plant-based diets in all the different countries you visited? I would say so. I, the country that I had the most difficulty was Japan. Uh, we 
lived in, uh, I mean, we stayed for a week in a, a Japanese inn where nobody spoke English. Uh, and uh, uh, to get the food I wanted was a bit difficult there. Oh, because of the language barrier, not because they didn't have like rice and veggies, right? Right. Nice. So Susanna, who's watching live, wonders when you graduate, you said you graduated medical school, I believe 1955 from Loma Linda. At that time, did you get a significant amount of education in nutrition or were they even teaching it then? Not that they teach it now. <laughs> there was some teaching, but no, I did not get uh, my, my nutrition education formally came through my um, MPH at Harvard. Yeah, talk about that because um, you know you already have an MD, and you went on to get the the MPH. What did that entail learning? Because not not a lot of people have that. I know, isn't that what Doctor Walt Willett has an MPH also from Harvard? That's a big deal. So tell us about that. Well, um, I I had leanings towards public health uh, even in medical school, but. Um, it wasn't until in my second year of working for the State Department, by that time I had visited many physicians overseas and almost unanimously, they expressed that they were disappointed that they weren't able to do more to prevent disease. Uh, they were just involved in clinical medicine as it's practiced everywhere. Um, but I made the decision, uh, having visited in many, many mission clinics and other places, uh, that I did want to go into public health because I felt I had opportunity to, to change the world that I lived in more through that than anything else. And my local embassy um, thought that was a good idea. And they, they approved my, um, my applying. And I, the only school of public health I knew uh, was at Harvard. And so I applied there and was accepted. How long but was the program? It's one year. And did you go there to study it? Yes, but there was a bit of a complication because I was accepted into Harvard, but the school started a couple of weeks before my contract with the State Department ended. And uh, the, um, my embassy didn't think that would be a problem, that uh, my replacement had already um, been planned for, and uh, but it had to be approved in Washington, the State Department, and they disapproved it. I mean, oh, they wouldn't no. allow me out two weeks early. That was before the days of jets, so it was two weeks plus travel time. They wouldn't allow me in. So I wasn't, I had felt like the Lord was wanting me to go into public health but I didn't know what this was telling me. Was this telling me I shouldn't go into public health or uh, what? But uh, I began counseling with people, all of whom uh, were in public health and felt that was the degree to go for the MPH. Um, but uh, Loma Linda, I, I had graduated five years before, uh, but a professor there said, uh, I believe you should go into your MPH, but um, if you're having to wait a year, uh, we could use you here. And so that's where I got into the Adventist health study as it was just getting started uh, in uh, 1960, 61. Wow, that's when I was born. That's amazing. Dr. Wayne Dysinger, why hasn't this great man been honored yet from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, with, along with Dr. Scharfenberg? What, what's up with that? Well, 
That's that's actually a great question. I mean, we we've had uh, Dr. Wareham on. Um, he was he was honored by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine a few years back when he he, he had passed a hundred at that point. So we have um, to wait for your dad and Sharfman. I, I guess it's that you have to hit a hundred. That's that's when you get on. All right. So I want to because I'll come to that ceremony. And, um, Dr. Bill Dysinger, do you, you know healthy by choice or healthy by chance? You know, I'm curious what what your family genetics are like. Did you have brothers and sisters and parents, and how long and how well did they live? Uh, my dad died of an accident. He was on a tractor after his. Uh, Retirement. Uh, he was 72, if I remember correctly. Uh, he was out bush hogging beside a road and didn't see a culvert there. And the tractor rolled over on him. And as a result, he died of an accident. Uh, my mother lived to 83 or so. Um, but my sister and her husband. Uh, are more than a hundred. My wife's more than a hundred. Wow. More than 90. More than 90, Dad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't make her any older than she is. <laughs> she won't like to hear You're that. That's 90. Uh, oh my God. That's incredible. Uh, do you have, do you have siblings? Is 18 months younger than I am. Is she in good health too? Uh, yes, except for her back. She has a bad back. Wow. Other than the fact that your parents died when they died, were they in fairly good health their whole lives? Um, yes and no. My dad was a workaholic and uh, he didn't allow himself to, to uh, enjoy life. <laughs> Now you went to Africa and did you ever meet Dr. Dennis Burkett and where did you learn about the importance of fiber? Yes, I became quite well acquainted with Dr. Burkett uh, and certainly his lectures were impressive uh, towards that. Uh, yes, I knew him quite well. What was he like? Uh, he was a a uh, good, lively man. Uh, did you ever see his lecture slides? I've seen some of his presentations through Dr. McDougall, and I, I love his quote, if you pass small stools, you need large hospitals. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I appreciated him a lot. Well, was he, he specialized in showing unhealthy stools and Healthy stools. Do you happen to know, was he plant-based himself or did he not talk about that? Uh, he was mostly plant-based. That's so interesting. Tell us um, the story of Biafra. Well, uh, that was the worst experience of my life. Biafra is in Southeast Nigeria and they chose to... Um, uh, to become independent. Um, and uh, that began a civil war which lasted for six or seven years, I suppose. Um, the picture that you're seeing uh, was the team that was there when I was there. There was two nurses, uh, a surgeon, a lab tech, and I'm in back, I was chief of the party, but this says International Red Cross, no firearms. We, we were supported completely by the Red Cross, but the hospital had been operated by Adventists um, from, its, from the time it was built. Uh, this just shows the war situation, uh, the hospital in the background and the trenches handy so we could jump into them if if it was bombed and it was bombed but none hit on the campus they hit just off the campus um the the malnutrition i was i was very thin when i went out but six weeks there i lost more than 20 pounds i was skin and bones 
Wow. Oh it was God. just because uh, my working conditions and the patients just took my appetite away. Oh my gosh. Uh, there were both adults and uh, children, babies were, were, were starving to death. That is so sad. I'm so and sorry. Uh, the takeaway from that uh, for me was well, this shows the reddish hair. Uh, this is one of the signs of malnutrition. But um, we fed like 300 uh, malnourished children, and we saw three meals a, uh, a week turn malnutrition around. Incidentally, this shows the economy. Uh, those are, are uh, little small handfuls of salt, which sold at that time for $25. I lived in a house that was completely furnished by the sale of one sack of salt, one 40 pound sack of salt, bought the kitchen with the uh, refrigerator and uh, stove and washing machine and living room furniture. Well, the whole house was furnished by the sale of one sack of salt. That's where I lived for six weeks. Did you ever think about writing a book about all these experiences? <laughs> this is what I wanted to illustrate. Three meals a day beyond the starvation diet that they were on, uh, stopped the kwashiorkor. Uh, and they were mostly plant-based foods. The, uh, mostly corn soya was the food. They would get one bowl three times a week. Uh, this is showing the the feeding, uh, but it would stop the kwashiorkor, turn, turn around uh, severe malnutrition. That was astonishing to me. That's incredible. So what did you teach in regards to the healthy nutrition movement when you were doing all your world travels? Well, I certainly uh, promoted plant-based diet and whole food plant-based diet um, everywhere. Um, but uh, I have always been um, recognizing that uh, it's not easy for many people to turn around. And so I just stated that the more plant-based foods you can eat, the better. Uh, I can't expect you to stop your animal foods uh, completely easily. Why, why, why is that though? I mean- People love their animal foods. But do they really? Because, I mean, nobody I know eats raw chicken, raw beef. I mean, the, the, you know, other than a wild animal, isn't it all the stuff they do to it, the deep frying, the sugar, the fat and salt? I mean, do people really like animal products that much? What, what do you think, Dr. Wayne Dysinger? What do you find in your practice? I mean, I know people can't give up dairy, but is meat really that much of a, a preference and addiction for people? Well, I mean, I... I'm, I'm thinking through my, my dad's career and, and a good chunk of my dad's career was, was, you know, the, the issue was, was not enough food. You know, I mean, that, that was our planetary issue was not enough food. Um, now the planetary issue is at some level too much food, right? And, and it's, it's these food, food-like substances, you know, these things that are marketed as food um, that are, you know, it's, uh, it's the uh, sugars and the, the oils and the flowers and, and all these other things that, that are the, that are the issue. And, you know, I, I personally feel like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And the, the eat food is the most important one. You know, we got to eat whole foods. We got to get back to, 
what Dr. Dennis Burkett talked about and what, you know, back, back to those traditional African diets, um, that, um, that, you know, were, were whole food and, and primarily plant-based and, um, and I, I think I do feel like some of the biggest issues with, with animal products is the processing of them. Uh, I mean, cheese is, is an awful thing. And, and a lot of that is because of how highly processed it is, you know? Um, so, so even though I don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me to, to use, for instance, dairy products. I mean, who, what other species drinks the milk of the infant of a different species? I mean, that's None. weird. That it's is the most weird. bizarre. I it's completely bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So, so that doesn't make sense. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm a fan of, of veganism. Um, but I, I do feel like the biggest challenge is, is not plant-based versus animal-based. The biggest challenge is processed versus unprocessed. Yeah. Cause everybody um, would do better without the processed food. I agree. That's why I wrote a book yeah. called unprocessed. Did you ever yeah. think of practicing with your dad, Dysinger and Dysinger? <laughs> we not really, I guess. Uh, where? Yeah, well, in, in, interestingly, my, my dad was mainly public health. So, so when I was growing up, my dad didn't have a clinic. Well, he, he would go do some consulting clinics, but he didn't have a, a clinic office that I would go visit him. When I visited him, I was visiting him in his academic office in the School of Public Health at Loma Linda. Um, and then later on, my dad did more clinical work at the Veterans Hospital. Um, at Loma Linda, he helped start several programs there. Um, but he was he was always more sort of in this public health world. Um, and then when I when I started my journey, um, I clearly admired my dad. And and back in those early days, you know, when you're young, you sort of like to try to create your own thing. But I clearly, looking back, I, I clearly followed my dad's footsteps in a lot of different ways. But I knew I, in medical school, I knew I really enjoyed the patient care part. So I, I very consciously got trained in family medicine first. Um, but I always had this interest in, in the public health preventive medicine world as well. Um, and I got into academia, but, but it was when, for, for my journey, it was when um, I realized that one of the biggest challenges that our healthcare system has is doctors not having the ability to practice um, lifestyle medicine, practice, uh, you know, the way that that really helps patients, really gets to root causes. Um, there, there weren't models out there for that. So, so that was sort of my, what I felt like my calling was, was to try to help, help show that you could, you could practice this new way where we focus on whole food, plant-based eating, and where we focus on relationships and, and really getting to know patients and getting them off of medications and all those kind of things. And so it's all sort of a legacy of, of, of my dad and some of the things my dad taught me. Uh, but, but I'm, um, I, I didn't go to his clinical office and learn from him in that clinical way. It was more the, the public health, the big picture looking, you know, and it's interesting to me earlier in the interview, my dad said, I felt like public health was, how I could transform the world or something like that. Yeah, is that what you said? Um, and towards that at least. Right. And and it feels to me like as life has evolved, you know, now 30, 40 years after that, or 50, 60 years after that, um, it feels like the way to transform the world now is more through lifestyle medicine because um, people like my dad have have actually helped solve some of the malnutrition issues and some of the, um, the lack of food issues. Now it's, it's quality of food and, and almost, almost too much food um, is, is the challenge more. Dr. Bill Dysinger, you retired like 30 years ago. So what have you been doing all this time? <laughs> I continued with projects overseas. I actually spent a year in Yemen after my retirement serving as the acting director of humanitarian program there, ADRA is the Adventist Development and Relief Agency. And they had a 
programs in Yemen. And I agreed to be a volunteer country director for a year, thinking that would be a nice little vacation. But I've never worked harder anytime. Uh, we had uh, many, many projects, and we were actually being offered the, uh, the work of overseeing projects more than we could do. But um, I, uh, I've written a couple of, or three books since I retired. I, um, Wait, I've you've got, written books? I did not know this. We need to get that in the show notes. Can we get these books and read these books? Well, this book is not uh, available now. Well, it's available secondhand. Uh, Heaven's Lifestyle Today was a reference book for ministers, uh, which uh, uh, gave uh, an overall view of health. And then history has always been uh, an interest of mine. Where's wow. The, where's the other book? Oh, here it is. Um, uh, this is Health to the People, which is the history of public health at Loma Linda. Um, and uh, are, are So neither of these books are available anywhere? This book is available through Amazon. And, okay, and we'll it, have to get a link to that. Fascinating. You need to just write a book about your life. Well, I... There's a little bit about it in here, but not very much. I think I think it's time. So, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the pillars of lifestyle medicine. How do you practice those in your life? Like, for example, exercise, connections, community, sleep, stress management. Are those important to you or is it just the diet? Yes, they are important. Uh, I'm particularly committed. Well, I consider diet the most important. But uh, I'm committed to keeping exercising. And so I've joined uh, our local gym, which is 20 miles away. And uh, I do walking and I keep up, keep myself active. Um, stress. Um, I. I do feel it's important, and I suppose my religion is the greatest help in, in uh, taking care of my stress. Um, I sleep pretty well, but uh, I have urological problems that uh, get me up at night quite a bit, so... That seems, but that seems to be a lot of people, you know, not, you know, I mean, just even anybody over 50, I hear they're up all night peeing, you know? Yeah. Uh, like so uh, those are some of the main things I do find it important to socialize and I, I socialize with my wife. And Do you have friends your age or younger or older? Um, not very many older. <laughs> That's the advice I get from a lot of people make younger friends. Yeah. What do you do for fun? What, what, what? Well, do you have any hobbies? Do you read books? Do you watch TV? Do you do any crafts, play any musical instruments? What, what like, what's it, what do you do for fun? I, I have too many hobbies that I can't keep up with. I've, I've collected stamps through a great deal of my life, uh, but I'm not active in it now. Uh, I, uh, I, I suppose reading and watching the news or the major activities, I still love to travel. Wow. Uh, and I uh, do that. I come out to Loma Linda at least once a year, uh, um, but I don't travel internationally so much. 
Incidentally, I grew up from the age of 12 planning to be a missionary doctor to Peru. And uh, I discovered that my plans are not always God's plans. I, uh, I, I lived my life uh, working in Asia and Africa and Latin America um, without getting to Peru until what, five years ago? Uh, Wayne was lecturing in Lima and he invited me to come with him. And after a lifetime of service elsewhere, I finally spent a week in, in Lima, Peru. Nice. Is there anywhere you haven't been that you still want to go? <laughs> I do have places I would like to go to. I, uh, I've always, I've been in the Middle East quite a bit, and actually, of course, lived there in Yemen. Um, I was uh, appointed dean of the American uh, what was it called? The university, American University in Lebanon. I was uh, appointed dean for that after I retired from Loma Linda. And uh, uh, I met with the president and uh, it was all arranged. Uh, he was in the US at that time and I visited with him his, in his home. But he went back and uh, stepped out of his office and was shot and killed. And uh, they stopped any Americans coming. And so I never was the dean there. But. Uh, so tell us the secret to a long and healthy life. Keep active and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. You, I mean, you seem very sharp, no cognitive impairment that I can ascertain. Yet so many people, even many years younger than you, are, you know, have so much decline. What do you think keeps you so spry? Keep active. <laughs> <laughs> you're fun. You're fun. Oh, wow. So you got to come back on your 100th birthday. Or you can just come back every year if you want until until Wayne finally gives you that award for lifestyle medicine. We got to keep we got to keep keep you coming back for that. That is for sure. Let's see if there's any other questions that you say you go to a gym, but what, what do you do at the gym? Uh, I go through the there's 11 machines uh, that supposedly work uh, all the different muscles of the body and I go through all of those and then I end up on the treadmill uh, for 20 minutes where I go three miles on the treadmill in 20 minutes uh, and that's the, the regular workout I have in Planet Fitness. Wow that, that's 11, good. 11 strengthening machines and the treadmill. And I'm guessing you still drive yourself? Well, yes. I, I don't know. I'm recognizing that someday I probably will have to give it up. But um, when my family rides with me, I uh, ask them to critique my driving. And so far, none of them have felt that I was dangerous. Nice. So do you, do you think there's any hope for the future? Uh, I'm not sure what you're asking. Are you? Well, just you know, I mean, just I don't know. You, you, the world has changed since 1920, hasn't it? It has tremendously. It's changed in the last five years tremendously. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you worry I, about? I I have given up on uh, the world ever being much better. I'm looking forward to the second return of our lord <laughs> other than wayne have any of your other children or grandchildren gone into the field of medicine um edwin our uh, 
oldest child um, has his master of public health and his wife also. Uh, our youngest son uh, was trained as a teacher, he and his wife, and they taught overseas for five years. Um, but he decided that he wanted to go into something where he could work with his children. They have four, four children of their own and they've adopted uh, a son. But uh, he, uh, he got into agriculture as something that, that his children could work with him on. And that's been a real blessing for them. They've done very, very well. Um, two of the children are, are um, doing, are working on the farm. I want to be farmers. Uh, uh, one of them is doing very well in business. One of them is uh, doing um, aircraft mechanic, electric electrical mechanic work in the, for airplanes. And one is a professional photographer. Oh. They've all done well. Very um, nice. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Do you ever go off the diet, if you will? Like a piece uh, of chocolate or- It's know. interesting. I've never drunk milk because I just didn't like it. But I've always put it on cereal, and that, for many years, was cow's milk. Uh, but one of my real weaknesses is ice cream, and uh, uh, I have mostly cut it out. But uh, a few times a year, I indulge in some ice cream. Well, you know, you can make it out of just fruit. There's all kinds of machines now, and there's vegan ice cream and all that stuff. But I think you're entitled. Do, uh, do you, can you walk unassisted? Do you use a cane, a walker, hearing aids, anything like that? No. I have glasses. That's OK. Me too. I just don't wear them. <laughs> Well, you are just delightful. Thank you so much for spending part of your birthday with me. What do you have planned for the rest of the day? Well, we're having a dinner, the family here. Uh, we're going to are you it. cooking it, though? Do you have to make your own birthday dinner? No, I'm uh, entirely dependent on family for this. Oh, nice. You, you, do you do anything to improve the health of your community? Because it sounds like you're so interested in public health. Where you are now, are you doing any lectures? Or Have you ever heard of Hans Deal and the CHIP program? Well, have I heard of Hans Deal? We're very good friends. Yes, I have. Are you a CHIP facilitator? Yes, we've, we've trained what, something like 110 in our local community through the CHIP program. And it made quite an impact. That is fantastic. And you, well, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Well, I'm happy to meet you. I first got acquainted with you uh, when, uh, when you were on uh, McDougal's program seven years ago. I've, I've uh, gotten a recording of that. And I, I had no idea you knew who I was. That's amazing. And I just got... Uh, so do you know Dr. John McDougall? A bit. He doesn't know me, but I know him. You got my book. Well, I am so honored. Well, if you want to meet him, I'll introduce you. He comes on once a month. I, I like him very much. He's, he's a wonderful uh, speaker. Yes. I appreciate him. Oh, that is so cool. I guess my first contact with... with Stars uh, was uh, early in my career. I met Nathan Pritikin. We've oh wow! Lectured, he's lectured for me several times, and in the past, and then. Uh, so you met Pritikin. You met Pritikin. You met Burkett. That, did you happen to meet doc, uh, like Dr. Roy Swank or uh, Dr. Walter Kempner by any chance? No, well, I think I've met Kepner, but uh, Dean Ornish, I know a bit. And um, uh, let's see, 
Oh, I've gotten fairly well acquainted with uh, the China study, Dr. Campbell. Oh, you know Dr. T. Colin Campbell. He'll be on June 15th. Yeah, he's wonderful. Do you know Dr. Esselstyn? Yeah, I've met him. I don't know him well. Nice. Well, you seem to have had a fascinating life, and I would love personally to read all about it. So get cracking on that autobiography, please. <laughs> well, I don't know whether my time will allow it, but uh, I, I do think about it occasionally. Oh, I think you should, because there's there's just so much for people to learn from you. Well, thank you, and happy birthday, Dr. Bill Dysinger. Thank you very much. It's so nice to meet you. And Dr. Wayne Dysiger, thank you so much for introducing me to your dad. I think, thanks for having us on. It's a great way to, uh, to celebrate. So, uh, I know. Well, we, do, years. Yeah. we should do this every year. This has just been such a treat. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for Robert Cheek. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.